Have you ever wondered what it's like to perform an autopsy? Ever wanted to know how accurate your favorite crime drama is? If you're brave enough, join, join us Inside, inside the, the Morgue. This week, we're dissecting a BBC crime drama called The Body Farm. We're your hosts, Justin Alice. So this show is about a body farm that is a private forensic facility that pushes the boundaries between scientific research and solving crimes. For anyone that doesn't know, a body farm is a term used to describe a research facility where the decomposition of human or animal remains are studied in a variety of different environmental settings. And fun fact, the term body farm was popularized because it was actually the title of a 1994 crime novel by Patricia Cornwell. I love that. It was just... It was the name of a novel, and it became, like, a, a common term. Well, common for people who work in, like, death investigation. Right? It wasn't, like, a forensic scientist that did it. It was just an author. Yeah. I think I was talking to someone one time about how I really wanted to visit the body farm in Tennessee. Yes. My dream is to go there, too. I would love to go there. And I, I just said the term body farm so casually, and they're like, the what? <laughs> they, like, slowly. Like, did a double take. I'm sorry, what? Oh, the what farm? <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I should probably explain. <laughs> this is kind of a fun term. Seriously, like people are not in forensics and people just say that normally. They're what? like, what are you talking about? This is a real and then thing? It's, it's not even like explaining it makes it any better because you're like, oh, no, no, no. It's not what it sounds like. They just leave bodies out to decompose. And then they're like, oh, that's worse than I was imagining. <laughs> they're like, oh, I guess this sounds, is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> it sounds terrible. <laughs> So this episode opens with a body being found in the water. Dr. Eve Lockhart arrives on the scene and is informed by D.I. Hale that the decedent is a 35-year-old male named Connor Ryan. The boat belonged to his brother-in-law, Rob Fay, who is currently recovering from a hangover. There was no life raft on the boat, and the boat seemed to be in working order. A child, who we find out is Robbie Fay, son of Rob Fay, is seen in the crowd of people at the scene and quickly runs home to look for his dad, Rob, and says... Quote, I think they found him. A woman comes in who also appears to be distraught that they found a body in the water. We then cut to Augie, an entomologist, which is basically like an insect scientist. They focus on insect activity. And he is pulling a beetle from skeletal remains in a tree at the body farm. This part in the episode, I totally forgot that they worked at a body farm, even though that's what the show is called. And I'm like, <laughs> where is this skeleton coming from? Why is he just at a different scene than the other ones? I was like, what happened to this guy? And then I realized, oh, he's just at his day job. He's just at his normal, quote, normal job doing his entomology studies. So entomology is a really cool field of forensics. I've always been fascinated with bugs and insects, and it's a really interesting field. So we don't use entomology too much in our office, but it's the study of insects. So in every TV show featuring a case with a dead body, you always hear and see flies buzzing around the body. So going more in depth to that, blowflies, scientific name, Californidae, if I'm pronouncing that right, are the first insects to arrive at the body. They find a suitable spot to lay eggs, and those eggs end up becoming maggots. Once those maggots have fed enough, they leave the body, because at this point, there is little left of the body to offer. Another major group of insects that arrive at the remains are coleoptera, again, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, or better known as beetles. These insects feed directly on the remains, or they feed on the maggots or larvae at the body. That's feeding on the body. So Augie is then called by Rosa and asked to come into the lab because Eve is coming in with a body. 
Connor was recovered from the sea at 2.30 and pronounced dead at the scene. Eve is dictating her findings at autopsy. And green flag. This seems to be a common theme in these forensic shows that we talk about. And we've mentioned we know pathologists that do this during their exams. However, everyone is just wearing aprons and gloves just on top of their normal clothes, which isn't how we do it. We always wear, like Jess and I are always wearing scrubs. And then we'll have either aprons or usually full surgical gown. And I've mentioned this a bunch. Multiple layers of gloves, mask, face shield, hairnet. All of that. So Augie examines Connor's ears and sees sea worms present in there, meaning that the body was submerged long enough to attract sea anemones. They also think that based on the sargassum in the diving suit, that he was in a kelp forest. They start to gather samples for serology, for toxicology, as well as marine botany and parasite life. This show has a lot of flashback events dispersed throughout the episode, which was very fun to watch in person, but it was really hard when I was trying to type notes on it. But this flashback occurred before Connor was found dead in the water, so we cut to the first flashback, and we see an argument between Rob and his wife, Patsy. They're arguing about Rob's excessive drinking. He tearfully apologizes, and it's very emotional, and it looks like Connor is witnessing the argument. So then we go back to the morgue, and the autopsy is underway. Rosa is collecting samples from the diving suit, and Eve is beginning the internal exam of the body. She examines the lungs, which are a very pale pink, and she notices that the trachea is damaged. So your trachea, or your windpipe, is part of your airway system, and the trachea is about six inches long, and it serves as a passageway for air, and it moistens and warms the air while it passes into the lungs, and it protects the respiratory surface from an accumulation of foreign particles. She, quote, enters the lungs and feels around with her hands. And we made this criticism with Crossing Jordan, but this body looks so fake. It probably is a plastic dummy from a prop store. And I've never seen not only a body that looks like that, but lungs that just look like they looked in the show. And we're going to give a red flag because in order to examine the lungs correctly, you definitely need to dissect and cut them out to take them out of the body. And she's just dissecting the lungs in situ, which just means the lungs are still in the body. And that's something we don't usually do. So Jess or I will eviscerate the organs and the doc will then cut into the organs from there to look for anything abnormal within. And when Eve just sticks her hand right inside the lungs, she says she feels something and immediately tells everybody to stop what they're doing and calls D.I. Hale. She finds that the lungs are void of water, meaning that he did not drown. He was dead already in the water. There are no blows to the head or anywhere on the body, and there are no defensive wounds. So the mechanism of death was internal. So they go to check his CO2 levels, and CO2 is just carbon dioxide, which is an odorless and colorless gas. So your blood carries carbon dioxide to your lungs. So when you exhale, you breathe out carbon dioxide. So there's an average of 400 ppm or parts per million of CO2 in the air outside. But if you have 40,000 ppm of CO2 in your blood, that level is immediately harmful and it causes oxygen deprivation. The way to get rid of carbon dioxide in your body would be through exhalation. In another flashback, we see someone in diving gear being struck in the head on a boat. We then see Connor arguing with Patsy, who is his sister, about Rob's drinking problem. She says that he had been sober for 18 months until Connor showed up. Connor said he showed up with work. Rob was supposed to take Connor and another man out for a job on a boat, but he's too drunk. Patsy, Connor's sister, and Rob's husband says that she will take him out in the boat instead. Patsy and Rob's son, Robbie, show up and they abruptly start arguing. At the morgue, Eve is weighing an organ, which I gotta say, it does look very realistic. 
to other organs that we've seen in previous scenes and other shows. Right? They abruptly went from the dummy where it didn't look real, and then I saw her weighing this organ and, like, picking it up out of it. It wasn't even, like, a real scene. It was, like, just panning over. Yeah. I was like, okay, that looked real. Honestly, it looks like one of the lungs that we looked at today. Right? Very surprised at that. A plus (laughs) for the props department there. They say that Connor's blood was loaded with CO2, meaning he died of anoxia, a.k.a. oxygen deprivation. But the blood samples from his spinal cord indicate that it was flooded with nitrogen bubbles, so they believe he was suffocated and the nitrogen bubbles were a result of the bends, also known as decompression sickness. It's caused by dissolved gases emerging from solution as bubbles inside the body tissues during decompression. It's basically when you're trying to ascend way too fast, so that's why divers use the weights so they can monitor their ascending speed. And also the bends happens very commonly in divers, but it can also happen with pilots if they're going up in the air too fast. I didn't know that yeah. about pilots. Wow. The bends could happen anywhere. Oh my god. <laughs> Another thing to be afraid of from this podcast. So Connor was trying to come up for air, but he ran out of oxygen. So he rushed to the surface and he died of the bends, basically. The nitrogen wasn't in his lungs, so he wasn't breathing when he was ascending. The nitrogen bubbles tell the team that he was dead before he even tried to get to the surface. He wasn't wearing a diving belt when he was diving, and he was diving at depths of 300 feet, which is very deep. Yeah, this was another episode similar to the episode where someone was buried alive, where I'm just like, you know, maybe diving isn't for me. Maybe I just want to stay in my home and do nothing. I just like to float on like a lazy river. This podcast really makes me question if I really do like yeah. doing the things I think I like doing. Right? Like scuba diving. Yeah, that sounds fun. And sounds then, fun in theory. You watch this and you study the true crime that we're going to talk about later and I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe not. not. So Rosa says, according to the marine botany and the evidence from his wetsuit, that he was pretty deep, probably in a kelp forest, which is very dense and dangerous. When diving, kelp algae cells contaminate the skin and the body tries to defend itself against them. However, once decomposition starts, the cells begin to then grow. They conclude that Connor had been dead for 14 hours. They also discuss the manner of death. So I gotta give a green flag for this. She says the manner of death is not accidental, natural, suicide, but she can't fully determine if it's homicide yet. And she's really good with not mixing up manner of death from cause of death, and I feel like most shows always use the two interchangeably. Yeah, until I started getting into forensics and studying forensics, I totally just thought they were interchangeable. Yeah. So the cause of death is the specific injury or disease that actually leads to death, whereas the manner is the determination of how the injury or disease leads to death. And there's five different manners, which are natural, accident, suicide, homicide, and undetermined. Hale is going to organize a forensic sweep of the diver's house with a warrant. Eve goes with him, leaving Augie and Rosa to do their forensic botany and entomology at the lab. They leave the body out on the morgue table with just a sheet over him. I'm also assuming they did this because Augie was still there working on the body. They're not just leaving the body out, which I did. we did think originally. I thought they were at first, and I almost wrote, like, red flag in my notes until we later see Augie go back, and he's still doing work. I was like, did they just leave the body out? They're just leaving the body there. He's not going to go anywhere. They're going to be gone for hours. They're just leaving him out? Like, <laughs> what? They didn't. Augie's there. They didn't. They didn't. Someone was still doing work. So at the house, they see Rob and Robbie, and they confirm that Connor is dead. They ask about Patsy, and Hale asks to discuss the matter with Rob alone. 
Eve goes to look around, Rob gets defensive and asks where she's going, and D.I. Hale informs him that they have a warrant and she's just going to look around. We find out that it was illegal for Patsy to be out on the boat at all because of an incident where she was responsible for bringing in a boat that had drugs on it. We learn that the other man on the dive with Connor was a man named Tom Wilkes. He is a marine biologist who wanted to collect soil samples in the sea. He hired Rob and Connor to take him out and assist him in a dive. Hale tells Rob that Patsy and Tom are missing, along with the life raft on the boat, but the boat seems to be in working order, so Hale is suspicious of Patsy and Tom. Mike, who also went along on the forensic sweep, asks Robbie about his walkie-talkie. Robbie then asks if they think that his mom is dead and asks if his mom's in trouble and why they're there if she isn't in trouble. Mike explains that when an accident happens, they have to investigate and there's a lot of rules in the job and that one rule is that he can't say what he's looking for. We have another flashback with Tom, Patsy, and Connor on the boat. Tom seems troubled that Patsy is the new skipper instead of Rob as originally planned. Connor says that Rob is sick and Patsy stepped in so they could still go on the dive. Tom seems worried about the change at the last minute, but then back at the morgue, Augie's looking at Connor's body for a parasite and finds something in the ear. He seems to be talking to the body slash spirit of Connor, saying, I know you're still here. You'll have to go soon. If you linger too long, you'll be stuck and become a ghost. And I can honestly say I have not had a ghost interaction in the morgue yet. Although I do know that our building is a little haunted. Yet. I 100% believe that. There are some times where I totally, if I'm there by myself, I feel like I see people over my shoulder, but I might just be paranoid. I just- So I get in early. I'm the first one in the office in the morgue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm in the morgue, we just look out of the doors and it's a longer hallway that goes into an L. And I swear, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll see like a flash of white go by. Stop it. And I don't know if it's just like my mind my mind playing games on me because it's 7 a.m. I literally see stuff in that hallway too whenever I'm there alone on the it's weekend. It's a very spooky and dark hallway that we work in. Yeah, I mean, we work in a morgue. But yeah, so yeah, it's going to be spooky, but like it's extra spooky when you're alone. Do you remember the one time where the power went out for like a minute? And it was just where we were? It was just in the morgue. Everywhere else in our office had power. It was just where we were. We're like, wow, that power outage was crazy. And everybody's like, what? What are you talking about? Totally think it was a ghost. (laughs) Maybe that was a ghost. Oh my God. We were like cleaning up after exams one day and suddenly the lights just went off and we're like, oh, the ghosts are coming for us. The ghosts, (laughs) they don't want us to clean. But then suddenly a man comes over the radio on Connor's dive gear. Augie is able to hear the Coast Guard tune in to the Mayday call. The man on the radio says his name is Tom Wilkes and that he's adrift on the water. Next scene, we see Eve and Hale go to the hospital where Wilkes was brought in and they question him. Eve starts swabbing various parts of Wilkes, which is a green flag because she's swabbing for trace, evidence, and or reference samples. The swab looks like a giant Q-tip and it's slightly moistened so that the bacteria or DNA will stick better to the cotton tip. She's also looking to see if Wilkes' DNA is on Connor's suit or anywhere else that they may be investigating or testing. Hale is questioning Wilkes, and he says he doesn't remember much except that Connor got snagged up while they were diving, and he tried to help him, but they were really deep, and he couldn't get to him. When they got about 300 feet, Wilkes says he blacked out. Tom also specifies that he is actually a marine geologist, not biologist, who said that Connor arranged for the boat and also makes sure to say that he has a proper research permit for that diving area. Wilkes was also looking into environmental impact on the coast. He seems to be unaware that Connor is dead and that Patsy is missing. Before Eve leaves, she takes a picture of a head wound that Wilkes has, and we see a flashback of him being struck on the boat. 
So we'll give a green flag for photographing of his injury. Although this occurs more in police investigations and assault cases than in our everyday routine, photographing injuries is a vital step in any case. You can evaluate the healing of the wound based on the color of the wound or the bruise. And you want to show the location of the wound concerning the body so you know exactly where it is. You also want to use an L-shaped ruler or a standard ABFO ruler near the wound so you have an accurate indication of the wound size. ABFO stands for American Board of Forensic Odontology. So red flag for them here, they didn't have any kind of ruler or scale. And we always say this when we talk about photography in these shows, but you need a ruler so you're able to approximate the length and the size of what you're photographing. Overall, the goal of photography is to provide a true and accurate representation of any injuries that are visible. There's no set number of photographs that need to be taken case by case because each case is different. So we'd rather over-document an injury than under-document it because we only have one chance to get it right. So Hale then asks Wilkes about the samples that he's collecting, and he says that they are in the spare room at Connor's place where he was staying. Back at Rob's house, Robbie says he heard Wilkes was found in the water over his walkie-talkie, which leads him to believe that his mom is probably alive in a life raft. The Coast Guard comes in over the radio to say they have the boat that was abandoned at the port. So Rob asks Mike, the investigator, to leave, and Rob says he's going to find out what actually happened. So Mike leaves to investigate the abandoned boat, and Rob goes to the hospital to question Wilkes himself and ask where his wife Patsy is. Wilkes acts confused when he learns that Patsy was not with the boat. He says that he doesn't know where she is. Wilkes told Rob the same thing he told Hale and Eve. He then tells Rob there is something he needs him to do. So back at the morgue, Augie tells Rosa that he can feel Connor's spirit in the morgue and that his spirit is angry. Rosa doesn't believe him, doesn't believe there's a spirit, but Augie says that there's going to be some paranormal activity coming soon. And just then, the radio starts crackling in Connor's diving gear. Super spooky. Augie picks up the diving gear and starts walking around with a diving mask, and he even goes outside to try and get a better connection. He ends up getting on the same channel as little Robbie's radio. Augie tells Robbie that he's a scientist trying to help his uncle. And Robbie asks how you help someone when they're already dead. And Augie says, you find out how they died. And he then goes on to say that what he specifically does is called entomology. Hale thinks Connor was involved in smuggling. And when he goes to talk to Susan, who is Connor's wife, she explains that Patsy was innocent of her previous boat crime. She brought a boat from France that was full of drugs and claimed she didn't know that it had drugs on it. Hale then asks Susan about Wilkes, and she says he works with Connor on diving in the oil rigs. Susan says Wilkes' stuff is upstairs in the back bedroom. Even Hale goes search, and Hale finds Wilkes' passport and sees he was in Venezuela six months ago. Eve finds a chemical signature that is a complex mixture of hydrocarbons. Hale asks if they are associated with drugs. Eve says, not unless the drugs had been marked with petrol, which for us Americans is just gas. Eve and Hale meet with Mike on the boat to assist in the investigation. She finds dive weights, just loose dive weights. So she calls Rosa to check Wilkes's dive belt to see if there's any missing weights. And it is in fact missing two weights and Eve is holding two in her hands. So it would appear these were his dive weights. Mike says there are no drugs on board, so whatever they were smuggling wasn't drugs. But there is blood, hair, and skin on the anchor, consistent with a violent contact of the scalp. Eve takes a swab of the anchor, and Mike swabs the railing of the boat. Again, green flag for the evidence collection skills. Rosa and Augie call Eve to tell her that they ran some tests and that they believe Wilkes held Connor underwater until he ran out of oxygen. A wetsuit has a layer of air between it and you. And when you dive, the layer fills with water and then it becomes heated with your body to maintain its temperature. I actually have a funny story. I recently, by recently, I mean like Labor Day weekend, I spontaneously tried on a wetsuit and I jumped in 
like my parents have a house on the river and my mom found like an old wetsuit from when we were kids and it's my old wetsuit still fit me but it was from when I was like 12 and it also I'm still probably approximately the same height from when I was 12 I'm not very tall and yeah so I tried it on I like jumped in the water and I forgot how weird it feels because the wetsuit it fills up with water like between you and the wetsuit and I just felt like I was like oh I forgot I didn't like how this feels so when she was talking about this I was like yeah that's that is what happens and filled up with water between me and the wetsuit so Connor's suit did have a layer of liquid, but it wasn't just seawater. It was his own urine. Suffocation causes contortions in neuromuscular junctions, compressing the bladder and causing urination in some cases. The outside of Wilkes's dive suit was also covered in Connor's urine. Wilkes would have had to be really close to Connor when he was suffocated, which allowed him to remove Connor's weight belt in order for Connor to rise to the surface. This combined with the missing weights in his weight belt and the nitrogen in Connor's blood made Wilkes look pretty guilty. In the inside of Wilkes's weight belt, the pockets were heavily contaminated with strong traces of sodium hydroxide and polycyclic hydrocarbons which is the chemical signature of currency, specifically to 500 euro notes, which is also the international currency that many drug dealers use. Eve doesn't think the cross-contamination of urine is enough to convict Wilkes of murder because Wilkes may have actually been trying to save Connor as he claims. We see Hale is questioning Wilkes at the hospital again. Wilkes says he doesn't know anything about the money that they found, the chemical components for his wetsuit, but Hale says he knows Rob Fay has it. We then cut to a scene where we do see Rob go to Susan and give her the gyros since we know that she's struggling with money. So that's what he was doing when Wilkes was like, you have to do something for me. Yeah, Wilkes gave him the money and then he was running off to do whatever. Mm-hmm. So over the radio, the Coast Guard says they're coming to shore with Patsy. Robbie hears this and he gets really excited by the news and he runs down to the docks, leaving behind his radio. But then, right after he leaves it behind, they signal again, saying they're bringing the body of Patsy Faye. Heartbreaking. So Rosa warns Eve that Robbie's running to meet his mom because he thinks that she's alive. Rob meets Robbie at the dock, and they find out the awful news together. They then ask Eve if they could see Patsy one last time, and she says yes right away. So I will give a red flag here, just because I don't think that was okay for her to do. She hadn't even seen the body herself, and yet she's telling the family without hesitation that they can see her. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't even know like what condition the body's in, if it's half-eaten maybe by sea life. She could be facially unrecognizable for all we know, and it just wouldn't be smart to like yeah. have that as the family's last image of like the mom Aww. and the wife. So no, she definitely should have checked before telling the family yes. Yeah, I also... Poor Robbie. This whole episode, I just felt terrible for the kid. Right? Ugh. Awful. So in the morgue at Patsy's autopsy, the cause of death was determined to be a fracture to the skull. The samples from the anchor matched her scalp. She was dead before she hit the water. There's only one way to prove that she went into the water with Wilkes, dead or alive, and that's if he took her in. But this can't forensically be proven. Rosa gets a hit on the prints from the underwater capsule they recovered from the boat. They are a match for Patsy. So green flag here, they most likely checked their local police database, so they got prints way faster than if they were going to submit it to, like, APHIS. And we've had a couple of John and Jane Doe cases where our detectives come in, print the victim, and they compare it to our, like, local county database to see if there's a match. But only individuals who have been convicted are in this database. So Patsy would have been in the database since she was convicted for the 
incident on the boat. Oh, with the drugs from France. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, if she wasn't in the database, they probably wouldn't have gotten a match so fast, Mm -hmm. theoretically. TV world doesn't always do that. So the thing about fingerprints, there's three types of prints. A patent print, which is a print that can be seen without chemicals or equipment. Plastic fingerprints are molded onto a soft surface. And latent prints, this is probably what you hear in a lot of these drama shows. It's a print that must be fully developed with chemicals or equipment before it can be seen. There's also eight different types of fingerprint patterns. There's radial loop, ulnar loop, double loop, central pocket loop, plain arch, tented arch, plain whirl, and accidental. So whirls are circular or spiral, Arches are a mound-like contour, while tented arches have more of a spike-like appearance, and loops have concentric hairpin ridges, and it's described as either radial, which means it loops more toward the thumb, or ulna, which loops more toward the pinky finger. So Rosa says she can prove that the money was in the capsule before it was in Wilkes' dive belt. The money was dropped at a pre-designated spot, and it was to be picked up underwater and brought to the surface. Augie pulls up a photo of the injury on Wilkes' head, and Eve says that it's an imprint of Patsy's wedding ring. Hale and Eve are interrogating Rob, and Hale says that they can prove Wilkes killed Connor and Patsy, but they don't have a motive yet. So if they don't have a motive, it will be assumed that Patsy is associated with the crime, even if she isn't. Eve asks Rob to tell them where the samples are and what he knows. Rob says they dived for two days, but they weren't bringing anything up, so he asked Wilkes what they were looking for. He says Wilkes said to mind his own business, and he immediately thought it was drug-related. Rob got angry, and that's when he started drinking, so he wouldn't have to skip her that third day. But he didn't think Patsy would take over, because he knew that she was banned. He admits that Patsy's previous smuggling charge was actually his fault, and that she covered for him. Rob has no idea what the money was for. He then takes Eve and the detective to where the samples are being held. The soil samples aren't samples from the location they were diving because they were loaded with petroleum. These samples are from an oil rig in Scotland, and everyone will know that he was lying about his claims and the research findings. In the flashback to the day that Connor and Patsy died, we see Wilkes coming up from his dive to the boat with a capsule. Patsy opens the capsule to find money, not soil samples. Patsy had found out that Wilkes wasn't actually collecting samples. He was collecting money while on the boat because he had found the samples before actually going on the exploration trip. Wilkes had an exploration license for that area, and if he found petroleum, he could sell for millions. Patsy confronts him about what would happen to the fishing industry if major explorations start in that area. Wilkes says they won't stay there, and they'll think what he found was a fluke. He offers to cut Patsy in, and she's obviously upset. She hits him, and she tries to go to the radio to radio for help. Wilkes grabs her and punches her in the face. She then falls to the ground unconscious, and I think this is where she hits the anchor, and that's how the blood got on it. That's how she died. That part wasn't really clear. I was gonna say, like, I was confused. I was waiting for him to, like, hit her over the head, but that didn't happen. Okay. Yeah, I think she just fell really hard on it. That just obviously how she died. Yep. So he claims it was an accident that she died. He says that because he killed Patsy, he then thought that Connor was going to kill him, so he had no choice but to get rid of him. He dived in after Connor and held him until he was dead. He transferred the money to the dive belt and threw Patsy's body overboard. Connor's death is a murder and Patsy's death is an accident. Wilkes is looking at between 7 and 14 years in prison, but with a confession, he could get time off. But he doesn't know who gave him the money since it was all set up by a middleman. Wilkes was found guilty of conspiracy to commit fraud, manslaughter of Patsy Faye, and guilty of the murder of Connor Ryan. Rob was found guilty of being an accomplice to conspiring to commit an act of fraud and attempting to pervert the course of justice. So I just wanted to quickly go over the difference between manslaughter and murder because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that they are different. So 
manslaughter is the crime of killing another person without malice or intent to cause death of that individual, and there's a lot less moral blame than murder, and manslaughter typically gets a lesser Mm -hmm. punishment. And murder is where you have that malicious intent to end a life. So he got manslaughter. Because he got manslaughter for Patsy, but murder for Connor. Yes. Because yeah. he got Patsy, manslaughter for Patsy because there was no intent the, behind killing the her. altercation with her thinking, oh, I'm going to kill her. He just wanted to stop her. Not that that's any better, but yeah. it is a difference in, is different in the criminal justice system. Yeah. And it will be relevant for the true crime we are discussing this week. And this one's a doozy, everybody. So I know this is already kind of one of our longer episodes, but... Buckle in for this bumpy ride. Yeah, buckle in, because this one is wild. I could not get over this case. I had never heard of it, and it's it's crazy. There's also a lot to this case, so we definitely recommend going to read it yourselves, because obviously we can only put so much in our podcast. Exactly. Yeah. And I already put a lot in here, and, but there's way more out there written by people who are way better at writing than me. So this week, our true crime is the death of Tina Watson. In October of 2003, Tina Watson and her new husband, Gabe Watson, were on their honeymoon in Australia. Tina had just began diving lessons in January 2003, despite a diagnosis of proximal supraventricular tachycardia. So often people with this have no symptoms, but symptoms may include palpitation, increased heart rate, lightheadedness, sweating, shortness of breath, and chest pain. But despite her diagnosis, Tina received her diving certification just before October 2003 when she was marrying Gabe. And this was because Gabe was already a qualified certified rescue diver who had completed 55 dives by the time the two were married and they were planning on going for a dive on their honeymoon. And at this time, Tina had only completed five dives. So for their honeymoon, they planned a scuba trip to the Great Barrier Reef. The couple decided they wanted to dive the wreck of the SS Yungala, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which was a popular but very difficult dive to make, especially considering that despite Gabe's experience, he had no ocean experience and Tina had even less experience than that. She had never dived deeper than nine meters, which I feel like you should have a little more experience for going on this hard of a dive, but I literally don't dive. So what am I talking about? So the dive company offered them an orientation and a guide on how to complete the dive with an expert dive master. However, the couple refused. Why? (laughs) This is a red flag right away. (laughs) Why? Uh, I would just be so scared. I mean, maybe they were braver than I was. Maybe they were just super overconfident and were like, I don't need a guide. They were out on their dive, and according to Gabe, Tina lost consciousness and sank 30 meters, a.k.a. 98 feet, just two minutes into their dive. Gabe claimed that he hadn't expected the currents to be so strong and that he had noticed that Tina had signaled for them to return back to the dive rope. He said he also noticed she looked panicked and that she accidentally knocked his mask and his air regulator loose. Once he got himself situated and he could see again, he just saw Tina sinking too quickly for him to get to her on his own, so he returned to the surface to get help. He claimed an ear problem prevented him from diving any deeper to save her, and that none of his training as a rescue diver prepared him for how to get someone who was in trouble underwater back to the surface. And... I don't know much about rescue diving, but I think that should be included in the training. That 100% should be included. You should probably not dive with somebody if you don't know how to not save them. Yeah. But again, he ha- he was a rescue diver, but he had never dived in open ocean water, I think. He got in way over so, his head. Again, maybe the current was too strong for him. However, there were other divers in this area at the time. And one of them, Dr. Stanley Stutz, said he saw Gabe engaged in what he described as a, quote, bear hug with his, quote, flailing wife. After which, Dr. 
Dr. Stutz said he saw Gabe swim to the surface while Tina sank to the ocean floor. And another diver, Gary Stempler, actually accidentally photographed Tina when he was trying to get a picture of his own wife who was on the dive. The photo showed Tina in the background lying face up on the ocean floor. It was just like chilling. I was very curious and we looked up this photo to see if it was still somewhere on the internet and you look at it and it's probably one of the spookiest photos I've ever seen. Gives me chills. I was not not a fan. It was very uncomfortable to look at. However, this photo didn't come to light until weeks after the incident because they had to get those photos developed. So when Gabe returned to the boat claiming that his wife was in trouble, the dive instructor, Wade Singleton, brought Tina to the surface 10 minutes later. She was given immediate medical attention and doctors attempted to resuscitate her for 40 minutes, but they were unable to save her. At Tina's autopsy, it was performed by Dr. David Williams the next day, and he found evidence of an air embolism, which is essentially like an air bubble in your blood vessel, and ultimately he ruled the cause of death to be drowning. Due to the sudden death and the conflicting statements from Gabe himself and the other divers that witnessed the incident, the death was investigated by the Queensland State's Coroner's Office. As is usual practice in Australia, a coronial inquiry was held, but Gabe had already left Australia at this point and he had refused to return. This means he was unable to testify at the inquest, but he did give evidence through his attorneys during the inquest. So during the inquest, the prosecutors brought in evidence that Gabe's story was inconsistent with the actions recorded by the dive computer. They theorized that he turned off Tina's air regulator, held her underwater until she lost consciousness, then turned the air back on and returned to the surface alone. And on top of all of this, Tina's father made it known that Gabe had asked Tina to increase her life insurance shortly before their wedding and make him the sole beneficiary. That is so suspicious. Real quick note to anybody listening, if your significant other asks you to increase your own life insurance right before you guys get married, we're giving that a red flag. If this ever happens, run. I'm giving a huge red flag. In real life, I will hold up a red flag. Major red flag. If they ask you to increase your life insurance or if they ask you to change anything in your will so that they're the one who gets everything, I want you to hear Jess and I screaming in your ear. Red flag. So in May 2009, Gabe Watson was extradited to Australia for trial. On June 5th of that year, he pled not guilty to murder, but guilty to manslaughter, for which he was convicted. And Jess so eloquently explained the difference between murder and manslaughter before. So Crown Prosecutor Brendan Campbell pointed out that Gabe was an experienced rescue diver trained in rescuing panicked divers. Therefore, he believed Gabe must have allowed his wife to sink to the ocean floor without making any attempt to save her, which he should have been trained to do. He didn't inflate her buoyancy control device or remove her weight belt and made no attempt to share his air source. And therefore, the Crown prosecutor believed he failed his obligations as a rescue diver and a, quote, dive buddy on this excursion. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison, but only served 12 months of that sentence. Are you serious? He kills his wife and he only serves one year? Supposedly. Supposedly, no, he definitely killed her. Only manslaughter? Allegedly. He, He literally said that he's experienced and... That he should have known what to do, and he just didn't. So in my mind, that's intent. So that should have been murder. I'm not saying I don't agree. I'm saying with the evidence, yeah. I am heated. Afterwards, Alabama prosecutors, where they were from, 
I forget if I mentioned they were from Alabama. But Alabama prosecutors charged Watson with capital murder and kidnapping by deception after he finished serving his sentence in Australia. And I hadn't heard of kidnapping by deception before this case, so I looked into it briefly. And basically their reasoning for phrasing it that way was, yes, they went on their honeymoon and she went willingly, but they had actually believed that Gabe premeditated this murder, planned it out so that he was like deceiving her, being like, oh, let's go on this honeymoon when really it was oh, let's go on this trip where I'm going to not bring you back alive. Get your life insurance. I thought that was interesting because I had never heard that no, term No, me before. neither. That is really interesting. However, this trial was later dismissed due to lack of evidence because Colin McKenzie, who was a key diving expert in the original investigation, had retracted most of his testimony. He had originally claimed that a diver with Gabe's experience should have been able to bring Tina back to the surface. However, after being provided with the dive logs, both Gabe and Tina's certifications and the medical histories, he stated that Gabe should not have been allowed in the water at all since he had no open water diving experience, making him an unfit diving buddy for Tina. He also said, and here's another plot twist, Tina had had heart surgery two years prior to the diving trip and did not receive clearance from a cardiologist before diving. She also stated on her diving application that she had no heart problems or surgeries. So another note, don't lie about your heart problems and surgeries before things like this. This case has so many twists and turns. I know. And I got most of this information, or I got all of this information from the Wikipedia page for the death of Tina Watson, which also links some interesting articles if you want to learn more about this crazy case. Because I know I got I got a lot in there, but yeah. It's totally insane. Probably the most insane, one of the most insane stories I have ever heard. I know. And I want to read more like actual articles about it. I know I just read the Wikipedia page. Please forgive me. But <laughs> there was just so much just on the Wikipedia page that I was just overwhelmed with that. Yeah. So I need to read some verified articles on this. Yeah, there's just, there's so many twists and turns and statements saying this and that. So, like, nobody really knows what happens, only he does, and he's just out there living his life. Mm -hmm. And just like in the episode, someone says they saw him bear hugging his wife. And it's like, oh, was he trying to, like, pull her up to the surface or was he holding her under? Because right? yeah. in the episode when they found Connor's urine on Tom Wilkes's suit, they're like, oh, that could have been either he was holding her under or holding him under or trying to save him like he claims he was. So it's just and nobody knows the truth except him. But that brings us to the end of our episode. So we tallied a total of six green flags and only three red flags. So in our opinion, this episode of The Body Farm does pass in terms of forensic accuracy. And I definitely want to watch more of this. So you may hear us talking about it again. Yes. There's only one season, too. Aw, man. Makes me sad. I want more seasons of this because this seems like a really good show. I want to learn more about The Body Farm that they work on, too. Okay. We're going to go back in a future episode of Inside the Morgue and we will do the first episode of, of The Body Farm. Yeah. I like that. So if you enjoy our podcast, share it with friends, family, and coworkers. We'd love to grow our platform on here. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at InsideTheMorguePod or Twitter at InsideTheMorgue and DM us with any show suggestions. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with a brand new dissection. Bye! Bye.